Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Rebecca Helford, MA, LMFT. She offers attachment and trauma-informed psychotherapy for adults, as well as short-term intensive parenting consultation, including home visits, both remotely and at her Mar Vista office. She also trains associate therapists at Well Baby Center in Mar Vista, teaches graduate fellows at the Reese Davis Clinical Fellowship at Vista Del Mar Child and Family Services, and facilitates parent-toddler education groups for Cassidy Preschool in Santa Monica. Rebecca earned her bachelor's degree in psychology from Brown University and her master's degree in clinical psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy from Pepperdine University. She is trained at the Maple Counseling Center, Vista Del Mar Child and Family Services, the Center for Reflective Communities, the Trauma Resiliency Institute, and the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. Today, we talk about her work with parent consultations and how she helps families get back on track. Welcome, Rebecca. Welcome. Hi, glad to be here. Yeah. So what you do is very interesting. You do some work with parents and parenting consultation. That's right. What is that? So a lot of times people in families with young children, when they're going through some sort of developmental change or the family's going through some kind of change, maybe a move, maybe a divorce, some kind of transition or just general life stuff, kids will have some problems. Right. And certainly the road from birth to age five is a very bumpy one. There's a lot that goes on then. And families who aren't prepared for that will often find it challenging at various points, even if their children are doing things that are totally developmentally appropriate. Those are usually times when well-meaning, thoughtful, but really frustrated and confused parents will say, I think my kid needs therapy. And as a clinician with lots of experience in this field, I feel confident in saying that most of the time, a two or three or four-year-old is not going to benefit from once a week, 15-minute therapy. Now, I say most of the time, you know, generally, because if a kid has a trauma or some serious anxiety or some other problem, individual therapy could be really helpful. But when a small child is living in a family where their parents are around or other caregivers then the most efficient and direct way of helping that child and really the whole family get back on track can be to help collaborate and work with the parents on how to navigate what's showing up in their family system right now. So that's what, in a nutshell, parent consultation is. Got it. How did you get into this? So if we rewind really far, when I started grad school, I had an idea of working with children, being a child therapist. I love kids. My own background made me really sensitive to the needs and feelings of kids and want to attune to that. And I did. I worked in schools with children for a while and eventually found myself pretty disheartened and frustrated because I realized that no matter how good the work was that we did, if a child was going back and more times than not they were, into a family setting that was chaotic, disruptive, traumatic, not really ideal, then I wasn't really going to be able to affect much long-term change. The most successful I could be was when I had the parents on board with me. 
So at that time, I really shifted my work to learning more about working with adults and doing other kinds of work until I partnered up with a colleague of mine who's now my mentor, Diane Reynolds. She's a local marriage and family therapist. And she developed a protocol for working with parents and very young children in group settings called the Mindful Parenting Group. I trained with her in this protocol. I can supervise and train interns in this model at Well Baby Center in Mar Vista. And in my work with Diane, she trained me in this short-term intensive parent consultation model that she'd sort of developed on the fly over many, many years of working with families in this sort of bespoke kind of way. It's both practical and mindful. I'm aware that when families who have children are struggling, they really want some ideas of what to do. So there's plenty of mindful offerings of things to try in the service of you're the boots on the ground party. Think of it like science. You're going to run some experiments, gather the data, and then wonder about what you've seen. Did this work well? What could work better? So there's a practical piece. And then there's a mindful piece where we really want to partner with families to help them grow the muscle of being able to reflect on what is this behavior all about? All behavior is communication, and a child's behavior is usually saying something about what life is like in their family at that moment, whether it's something developmental to the child, something more historical or familial to the family. There's usually flavors about immigration history, trauma history. All of these things can show up in the guise of a child's difficult behavior, which I like to think of as the canary in the coal mine. So over time, after Diane introduced me to this model and she and I did our own podcast called The Sandbox, where she and I kind of talked about some of our ideas and her ideas about working with families and small children, um, I've been putting my own spin on this model and using it to support families since before the pandemic and during the pandemic and, and now beyond. And I wonder, as you're talking about this, I don't necessarily want to talk about specific cases, but what are typical reasons why someone might come to you? So there's kind of a range. A big theme that shows up is parents not being on the same page about how to relate to their children and how to raise them. Usually parents are kind of holding two pieces of the pie that dovetail. One parent might be better at holding boundaries and holding limits, but not be so great at holding feelings. The other parent might be really good at empathizing and reflecting their children's emotional experience, but not so great at holding firm with boundaries. And so they're kind of an endless struggle of either or when really they need both. So that's a big theme that I see a lot is parents needing to get on the same page about how to approach discipline, discipline being healthy, wholesome, empathic limit setting. Another theme that I see is something that infant mental health clinicians call ghosts in the nursery. This is a term coined by infant mental health juggernaut Selma Freiberg, author of a book called The Magic Years. And it's the idea that personages from the past, people from the past who loomed large in parents' lives when they were children, who were difficult, maybe even abusive, scary, unavailable, those people can, if their presence was not digested and made sense of in the parent's mind, then they can kind of show up in the relationship with the children. And people will sort of take turns adopting the role of these difficult ghosts from the past. 
So unpacking where are the ghosts showing up here and helping people notice how they're acting out patterns from the past and the present. Something that's also fairly common that shows up is people just not having developmentally appropriate understanding and expectations of what small children are like. Most people today, unfortunately, haven't had a lot of experience hanging out with small children until they carried one home from the hospital, which is unfortunate. There's no other job that you could get with so little training and on the ground experience. So what they're left with is books and well-intentioned advice and lots of contradictory information that can be very confusing and overwhelming. And uh, in fact, the Zero to Five Foundation, which is a, you know, a prominent infant mental health, early childhood mental health foundation in the U.S., has documented this phenomenon. They called it the expectation gap. And there's a, basically a huge percentage of parents who expect that young children should be able to do stuff that they're developmentally incapable of doing, mm. usually stuff around self-control, stopping themselves from doing something they know they're not supposed to do, holding off tantrums, sharing. Most kids can't really begin to do that stuff till they're about three, four, or five years old. So educating parents a little bit on the nature of the beast, so to speak, of this is what two-year-olds do. And they really need your help in this moment. And so how do you support and help these young beings that are incredibly sophisticated, have really robust ideas and plans about the world, but really terrible emotion regulation, really terrible right. ability to think about the consequences of their actions, and may not be able to understand or follow through with your words. We love to talk as grown-ups, and I get parents coming into my sessions telling me, well, we told him, uh, we explained to her why they shouldn't do X, but they keep doing it. And I'll say, exactly, exactly right. That is exactly developmentally appropriate for your child. Now, here's how you can connect more readily with your child and help partner with them in that moment um, to help build their brains really for, for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And maybe thinking a little bit going into this reflective parenting piece of it is this idea of if there's an expectation that a child is not meeting, even if it's an unrealistic expectation, then it's this kind of circular scenario that keeps on happening and actually makes that behavior even more pronounced in a way. Well, that's right. So children's behavior and really any behavior in the world that bothers us usually speaks to something tricky and unresolved in our past. So parents will come in and have all kinds of interesting descriptive terms for their children that really pack a wallop. So things like oh, she's really bossy, or he's really a pushover, or he's just like my father. This is a lot of information that's being processed in a moment that may have nothing to do with that kid, but may have more to do with the parent's own lens that's informed by the way they were raised and what they learned about relationships, big feelings, who takes care of one another when they're growing up. So a misattribution right? That's what, what we think of them, a misattribution, a child not being seen clearly, as you said, can really create this vicious cycle where everything becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The child doesn't have an opportunity to act differently. The parent continues to see them through this really unclear lens and around and around it goes. So through consultation, 
I can help people to interrupt that cycle and get a sense of how they're seeing their child in a distorted way and also build empathy for their own experiences that lead them to see their child in that way. So thinking about this idea, so part of the consultation is educating a parent in terms of appropriate expectations. What if the child is outside of maybe the expected developmental norm? That's a really good question. From decades of experience now, we know that early intervention is best. And so if a child is exhibiting behavior that looks like it needs additional intervention in order to hit developmental milestones, in order for that child to really live up to their potential, I want to make sure that child gets to the appropriate referral source. So I definitely refer people to places like the Westside Regional Center. Many people haven't heard of the Westside Regional Center, but regional centers are part of a network in our country's infrastructure. You've already paid for it with your tax dollars, so it's free, where it's early assessment and intervention for children who aren't meeting developmental milestones in a variety of areas like speech, motor problems. It can provide free occupational therapy and speech therapy, physical therapy to children that or needing a little bit of extra help. I often see folks coming in whose children seem to need some help in the sensory processing or sensory integration domain. And I give a lot of referrals for occupational therapy evaluations and treatment. I am a big fan of occupational therapy for helping children kind of almost in a miraculous, magical way, work through some of these sensory issues that appear sort of confusing and ethereal to parents. Parents don't know a lot often about the sensory domains and how sensory disintegration or sensory sensitivities can really interfere with a child's ability to thrive. And something as simple as meeting with an occupational therapist and swinging on a swing or rolling up in a blanket or using a weighted blanket or pillow can have like drastically calming and regulating effects on children. So OT, really important. Speech therapy referrals I'll often make. You know, if there are challenges that have to do with the physical, the medical domain, you know, I often talk with parents whose children are experiencing toileting difficulties, check up with the medical doctor is really important to rule out any kinds of medical conditions that could be contributing because those are outside of my domain and they, you know, people really need to have those things taken care of in order to benefit from consultation. So it sounds like your role, right, is so a parent identifies something that it needs to be addressed, right? And so you might be the first clinician that a parent turns to. And if I'm getting this right, your role is to determine, okay, is this developmentally appropriate or not? And if it isn't developmentally appropriate, for sure, give recommendations to get that evaluated in much more detail and understand what services are available. But at the same time, while they're going through that process, supporting the parents and understanding how they can be more effective parents in order to allow their family system to just work better despite all that. That's right. That's right. You know, every kid is different. And another big piece of this is that sometimes parents get a child that they didn't expect. Actually, I'm going to say most of the time parents get a child that they didn't expect for one reason or another. And I often share with parents, there's this beautiful poem called Welcome to Holland. Do you know this poem? No. It's a really beautiful poem. It's intended for parents of children who have developmental delays or other kinds of disabilities, but I really think it applies to all parents. The gist of the poem is this. Someone gets on a plane and they've been planning a trip 
to Italy with all of the beautiful museums and the food and, and the, the coastline. And they're so excited to see the Colosseum. And then they step off the plane and the flight attendant says, welcome to Holland. And the person says, but I, I wanted to go to Italy. And she says, oh, yeah, but you're in Holland now. And it, it's not that Holland is bad. Holland's got great stuff. It's got tulips, it's got windmills, it's got canals. It's just not where you were expecting to go. And so there is this piece of reconciling who you thought your child was going to be and your expectations of who they were going to be and what it was going to be like to have them in your life. There's some mourning and grieving and adapting that needs to happen there. And then there's how do you see your kid as clearly as you can so that you can meet their needs as best as you can. You're never going to do it 100%. We shoot for 30%. 30% is what the infant mental health literature by Dr. Ed Tronick show us is the kind of average amount of connection that parent-child dyads have. I mean, 70% of the time, you're not seeing your child clearly. You're upset that you're not in Italy. And 30% of the time, you're, okay, I'm in Holland. Let's go smell some tulips. And there's a lot that goes into that. So I do a lot of training. I train associates in the mindful parenting group model and also in working with parents and children in a variety of ways. And I, I call it the archaeology the idea that there are all these layers that you can sort of dig to when you're working with families and they're all useful and they're all interesting and they all give you information about how the family came to this point of challenge, what's informing it, what the behavior is communicating and how you can help them understand it better. So there are developmental layers, there's sensory layers, there's family historical layers within each parent. There's generational layers going back to the family's stories from previous generations. There's layers about trauma. There's layers about culture. There's layers about every part of the family's identity, history, and story. And they're all useful in terms of helping the family to come to terms with who is this child here and now? What are they showing us that we all need in this moment? And how can we attend to that as best we can? Yeah. And how can we derive joy from that unexpected outcome? Deriving joy is key. And something that I often find with families is that they're not spending a ton of quality time with their kid. And this may come as a surprise to many of the families that I talk to. They'll they'll say, but you know, I took them shopping with me last week and we went to Target and this and that, or we went to Disneyland or we did, I drive them to school every day. Those are very important. Those are very important pieces of family life is they're just sort of day in, day out doing together. But there's something about what various people call either special time, what Magda Gerber, the developer of the Rye philosophy called wants nothing quality time. There's something about that that is different than all of this other kind of bustle of family life where something is being done, we're doing a task. So all that is, is are we together? Do we have a sense of joy? Do we have a sense of flow, right? Where there's no agenda, there's nothing to accomplish. I'm not teaching, coaching, directing, instructing, or correcting my child. And it could be five minutes long, it could be 10 minutes long. Research has shown that doing this in sort of a therapeutic protocol for 20 minutes once a week, right, low, low bar, 20 minutes once a week of special time can help reduce children's irritability and tantruming and increase their cooperation and ability to be flexible. 
So I'll prescribe this to parents as something to try. If their child is having a hard time, if they're having a lot of tantrums, meltdowns, difficulty with transitions, why don't you try having some time where you really enjoy your child and they enjoy you? Because that is kind of a big reason, I think, why most of us got into this business of being parents. I'm a parent too, and that's definitely a key reason why I did it. So why not? Why not build that in? And if for no other reason, then it fills the foundational bucket of the relationship so that when you need to make a withdrawal in a difficult moment, there's something to pull from. If the bucket is empty and now you need to convince your child that it's time to go to bed or time to sit in the car seat or time to visit the doctor, you don't have any goodwill to leverage with. The story about going to Hollywood, I'll make sure we have that in the episode description, because I think that really is, I mean, it just sums up your work in terms of moving parents through this journey of identification, acceptance, and then joy. Yeah. And it really is a journey. It's a long-term journey. And I love the flexibility of this kind of consultation because it allows me to partner with families For that long term, it's not weekly therapy. I poise myself as a coach or consultant. I place the parents in the driver's seat. And with each meeting, I give them the choice of, do you want to put something in the calendar right away? Or do you want to go away and work on the stuff that we've brought up today and reach back out to me when you're ready for another meeting, for a home observation, for a school observation, uh, for a parent-child dyadic play therapy session in my office? And the reason for that is this is a long journey and the parents are really, the parents or the caregiving team, whoever that is, they're the ones who are in charge. I want to empower them to be able to think reflectively, you know, flex the muscle of mindfulness as they think about what is this behavior communicating and what do we need to do to support shifts in our whole Mm -hmm. family environment to get to a desired outcome. So people will meet with me once or twice and maybe a handful of times, and then they feel like they've gotten enough and they might go away for a year or two years, and then they'll come back when they hit another little hiccup. And I love partnering with families in this way because I feel like I'm really empowering them to be able to have a different way of leading their families. This is really leadership training in a way. I get to be a part of this whole developmental trajectory and see this sort of long-term development and change in the parents and children as they're shifting their way of approaching how they live together, how they relate to one another. I love doing individual work. Don't get me wrong. I really love the powerful work of sitting with a person week after week, working on healing attachment, trauma, doing that deep work. And that's very satisfying and powerful too. And this is just different. It's being a family partner through this developmental journey. Feels like meaningful work. It feels that way. Satisfying because you really do get to see these outcomes that you're working towards, right? And it's also interesting you talk about the journey. You don't know what it's going to look like, but you have an end goal of just kind of making it better and enhancing parenting and everyone is going in with with the same goal. So, well, I really appreciate you describing this and explaining the work that you do. I will make sure I have your information on the episode description so the listener can learn a bit more about you and the work that you do if they're interested in learning more. Before we say goodbye, I often ask last words that you want to leave the listener with. 
something that I'm really striving to do as a parent and something that I think I'm constantly coaching the parents that I work with to do is to follow your child's lead. Hmm. That is deceptively simple, right? Because I think we all want to do this. I think we all as parents really strive to hold our children's experience in mind and to really view it as precious and unique. But our own experiences and our own pains and our own wounds do get in the way and make it hard for us to see our children and follow their lead and do that as clearly as possible. Sometimes following their lead means stepping in. Sometimes following their lead means stepping back. Sometimes it means seeing how we're not seeing them. But for people who are listening, I would encourage you to see how you can follow your child's lead. Notice where you aren't doing that. Notice where it's hard for you. Notice where it's painful for you to follow your child's lead. And I encourage you to get support with that in whatever form you can, because that I think is the most meaningful part of this journey. And and if there's anything that I've learned from this work that I hold dear, it's that I'm not here to fix kids. Our kids aren't broken. When kids are having problems, it's not because there's something wrong with them. It's because they need help. And usually the grownups in their lives need help to figure out how to help them and to deal with the pain of their children being in a place where they do need help. Mm-hmm. So follow your kids' lead. Follow their lead. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. I appreciate you being on. Thank you, Josephine. It's been a pleasure. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.